Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. And we are live. Hey guys, this is Ruben from Dub. This is the Dub podcast, Connection Loop. And today we have a very special guest, Benton Crane. So I'm super psyched to talk to Benton about so many things. Um, his firm has been a great influence on marketers in general, marketers that are creating video content and sharing stories and really trying to, quote unquote, go viral, part of, part of the cliche. So uh, Benton, I'd love to understand a little bit about the the Harmon Brothers method, um, your sort of origin story, both as a firm and then you yourself. For sure. Thanks for having me on, Ruben. Excited to be here. Thanks, Benton. So let's see. Do, do you want me to start with, with the origin of the firm and then we'll talk about my origin later? Love it. Okay. So my partner's... There's three brothers. They're the ones who actually have the last name Harmon. So it's Neil, Jeff, and Daniel Harmon. They all worked together at Aura Brush. And this is back in like 2009 era. You know, this is shortly after uh, YouTube had just been acquired by Google. It was not yet an advertising platform. It was, you know, mostly just cat videos being shared on, on YouTube. And, and they were working on figuring out how to market a tongue cleaner, you know, this, this aura brush that cleans your tongue and gives you, gives you better breath. And they shot this really simple video. You know, I think it had like a $500 budget or something, but they shot this video that incorporated, you know, humor and branding elements, but it also incorporated direct response, you know, your, your typical infomercial type sale. And they put it out there and started buying ads against it. And back then, you know, the ad inventory on YouTube was just insanely cheap. And so they were able to just buy enormous amounts of inventory against this ad and rack it up to millions and millions of views. And they were doing it profitably, selling a ton of these Aura brushes. And so it went from this tiny little startup with no distribution to they started getting really great traction on YouTube. And then because of that, Walmart picked it up, put it in nationwide distribution, CVS, Walgreens, and, and it ended up, you know, being distributed all over the place. And eventually Dentec bought, bought Aura Brush. And, and so the brothers left to go on and do the next project. And that's when I joined them. So the four of us formed Harmon Brothers, as it's known today, and we did the Poopery campaign. That's, it, it, you know, for those of you who remember, it's back 2013 redheaded British woman sitting on a toilet telling poop jokes, selling poopery, the, you know, the before you go poop spray. And then that one was wildly successful. Uh, you know, I think, uh, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think they went from about $7 million per year, jumped up to somewhere between like 25, $30 million per year. And that was it within, you know, just the six months that, that we were working on that campaign. And, and then, you know, that spiraled into Squatty Potty and later Purple Mattresses and chat books, uh, you know, the photo books. And, um, and then it kept going from there. We did Camp Chef and Fiber Fix and, and Lumi Deodorant. We've uh, strung together a, a whole bunch of really, really successful internet campaigns. 
that all have the common theme of we're blending the worlds of direct response marketing with branding and humor. So that's, that's, the, that's the nutshell version of, of how we came together. Love it. And, and I've, I've followed you guys from, from the early, early days. Um, you know, I know that video or brush. It's, it's a great piece to watch. I mean, for, for those of you who have not seen it, you should definitely check it out. Simple actor, you know, white screen in the back. Um, great, you know, attire. I remember the lab coat and the goggles and just the jump cuts and the dynamics of the zoom. And, and it's just, it's a really interesting thing to watch. Uh, it's easy to get through. And then it's also very educational. So I think that, you know, from your early days, I think that you guys have really been on this path of exactly what you said, which is direct response combined with branding and humor. And I think yeah, it, Frank, it, for that. it's funny because through, you know, kind of the history of the advertising world, those two camps kind of hate each other. You know, you're either a direct response marketer or you're a traditional brander but you're not both, right? It's, you know, both camps are pretty critical of the other camp. And in, in, in traditional branding world, you know, they look at infomercials and go, ooh, gross, that, you know, I would never do that to my brand. That's so, you know, tacky, so pushy. And then in the direct response world, they look at branding and say, oh, you can't even measure that. It's all just fluff, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I think if you stand back, you can see wildly successful companies in both of those worlds. And if we take the best of both worlds, where you know direct response can drive a sale, it can drive an immediate ROI, it's trackable, it's measurable. You take all of that and then you combine it with the great things about branding, you know, bringing in character, story, emotion, humor, um, making it memorable, giving some, giving people something to, you know to connect with emotionally and something to remember. If you can package those two into one world, it's a really powerful combination. Well, I mean, I think what you said is spot on. It's this idea that um, these are really, historically they've been two camps and it really, I think the problem comes down to the, historically at least, is the attribution, you know? Branding to a lot of people, at least direct response advertisers, is that it's a residual benefit. It's almost like social engagement. Likes, shares, follows, that is, the, you know, sort of residual benefit of direct sales, direct response, generating those leads, getting the e-commerce sales, getting the subscriptions. But I think that world has changed now because there's so many ways to have attribution depending on the method, but then also some really, some really great methods on LinkedIn, Facebook. I mean, lead gen ads, you know, we, we're almost solely doing lead gen ads on, on Facebook. And the reason why, and I want to get into this a little bit later, is that we can have a high value video that pushes our brand, but at the same time, we can completely um, track um, leads in this case, and then eventually signups and subscriptions. So I'd love to get into that a little bit later. Yeah, and, and honestly, I think that's also a function of the stage your company's at, right? If you think about the journey from you know, becoming, you, know, you start out as an obscure startup, and eventually we all have this goal of becoming a household brand name, right? That everyone knows and they love you, they trust you, they remember you. And, and you kind of have to think about that as a journey, right? And early on in that journey, you need trackable sales immediately. That's what keeps the lights on. That's what pays the bills. That's what, you know, that's what allows you to stay in business. And without that, you're toast, right? You, you, you can't make it. But as you grow over time and as your brand develops more and more recognition, then 
your your goals and your metrics can start to change, right? Nike doesn't worry about attribution in the same way that um, that Dub worries about it, or even that you know Squatty Potty or or Poopery worries about attribution because Nike is it. Excuse me, Nike is simply at a different stage of their business, right? Um, and so I think it's important for us to remember that there's a time and a place for all types of marketing. And when you try to break that rule, so a couple of classic examples that I love to use. So pets.com, right? It's the poster child of the dot-com bust, right? They are this brand new startup, raised a bunch of venture capital funding. And what did they do with it? They go out and they buy a Super Bowl spot, right? Spend, you know, I don't know what it was back then, but it was, I'm sure it was well north of a million dollars to get that Super Bowl spot. And all of a sudden they're trying to compete with the big boys when there's still this tiny little startup who hasn't even yet built their economic engine. And, and so that's an example where a startup tries to get into, you know, the big boy traditional branding world way too soon. But then the opposite example of that, I like to use Snuggie because Snuggie was this wildly successful infomercial. Depending on the source you see, they sold somewhere between 300 and 500 million dollars worth of snuggies like wildly successful but they never bothered to build a brand for the long haul and so snuggie had this you know it was this run in the sun i don't know how long it lasted three four or five years whatever it was and then they just faded into obscurity because they never built that brand that connects with us for the long term and and stays relevant and continues to innovate and, and so that's an example of someone who was wildly successful in the direct response world, but never took that graduating step into, into building a brand. And so I think it's really important for us to learn from those lessons and say, okay, let's, let's do the appropriate things while we're small. Let's go for that attribution, go for that, you know, direct sale. We, it needs to be trackable. We need to uh, deliver an ROI, et cetera, et cetera. But to build a brand that stands the test of time, over time, you have to graduate and think differently. And eventually, you want to get to where you're competing with the Nikes and Apples and Coca-Colas of the world. Well, I mean, that's beautifully stated. I mean, I think that there's definitely these two tracks. You know, who was it that said sales overnight, brand over time? I forgot where I saw that or read that, but I really connected to that because it sort of liberated uh, me as, as a marketer to realize that, I don't need to make a sacrifice. You know, we can, we can solve our problems. We can pay our bills. We can get the growth metrics that we want in our early days. But as we build that brand up and create that affinity and create that halo effect that, you know, maybe potentially it can become something much, much larger than that. So yep. our, our attribution right now, the vast majority of what we see come in, it's non-sourceable. It's just from word of mouth and, and brand. And we're starting to get happy about that, you know, um, but it's, it's and, of course. And that, and that will accelerate over time. It will become a ever increasing portion of your marketing mix will be that untrackable, untrackable point until one day you might end up like Nike where Nike probably has very, very little trackable sales. You know, probably Nike.com has some. And that's about it because the rest of their distribution, you know, in, in retail and all the other online um, retailers and stuff that's not going to be trackable for Nike but they have such a strong brand that it doesn't matter 
Totally. Yeah. So you, you come to this game with a lot of really interesting experience as a consultant, as um, studied economics, you, stu- you, I guess you had a statistic function at some point early in your career. Um, yep. What is your origin story and how did you end up in that seat? Yeah, great question. So I, I studied economics in college and became, you know, a little bit of a data geek. I, I, I love statistics and econometrics. And so I started my career as a statistician at the Census Bureau, and then I ended up consulting in the intelligence industry, you know, out there in in Washington, D.C., you know, the various three-letter agencies. I kind of bounced around and and did work for uh, for various agencies out there. And when I joined up with, with the brothers, they were essentially looking for someone with really strong data background, and that's what I brought to the team. And that kind of set the foundation for Harmon Brothers being both very creative minded, but also very data driven. And, and that exists clear, you know, to this day where we hold a weekly meeting, we call it our hypothesis testing lab, HypoLab for short. And essentially what we're doing in that HypoLab is we're always brainstorming what we can test creatively and how do we measure it to find out it, its performance. And so we always have data feeding the creativity and then we have creativity feeding the data and it creates this loop. And so when people look at our track record and look at all the different campaigns we've done, you know, sometimes there's a tendency to think like, oh, you know, somehow these guys got lucky with the magic touch or whatever and everything, you know, all these different campaigns they've worked on, you know, they just hit the sweet spot every time. But what they don't understand is that there are just loads and loads of A-B tests that go into all these campaigns and all these, you know, we're constantly getting new learnings that is feeding the new creative. And so it's not just happenstance or luck when, when the next campaign becomes successful. It's, it's constant testing and iteration. Well, 1 billion views, over $300 million in sales. I mean, these are, talk about being data-driven and talk about being successful with a proven method. What is the HB method? It's, so, it's, branding, it's direct response. It's talk to me though, explore it. Like how can small businesses, if they can't necessarily afford to hire you guys, how can they adopt your, your method for their own business? Yeah. So here, here's how I sum it up. We talked about that timeline, right? Timeline from obscure startup to household brand. If you were to divide that into two camps, you'd say the first camp is, you know, the first half of that timeline is build an economic engine. You have to have an economic engine that allows your business to operate profitably, and that becomes the engine upon which you build a brand. And and so I would say the second half of the timeline is all about the brand building. And so when we talk, what is the Harmon Brothers method? The Harmon Brothers method is finding out where you're at on that timeline and implementing the right strategy at the right time for your business. So if you're a brand new startup, then what you wanna do is focus very, very intensely on sales, right? Maybe in the beginning, it's even, you're out pounding the pavement, word of mouth, finding out what message resonates, closing deals, making it happen and then once you kind of hone in on okay we know how to sell now then it's time to start to scale it up and so then you might go into a a simple sales video where you essentially repeat that sale that you developed word of mouth 
you now repeat it in video form and start to scale it up across the internet, you know, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. And as you grow those sales, you're growing that economic engine until you get to a point where maybe, you know, maybe your company is doing two, three, four, five million dollars per year. And then you say, okay, now it's time to start thinking a little bit about branding. And, and that's where we recommend, you know, build, you know, bridging the gap between those two worlds of branding and sales. And, and you, we call it a branded conversion video, or, or we also use the term hero video. And that's kind of what we're known for when you look at, um, you know, Squatty Potty and, and, and Poopery and Purple and Chatbooks and all the others. That's, it's that world of branding plus sales. And, and so that allows you to create the brand character, the brand voice, the brand world. You can make it memorable. You can make it humor, humorous. You can make it funny. And that takes you through the next phase of growth, you know, to go from, you know, two, three, four, five million dollars per year up to, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 million dollars per year. And, and getting through that stage of growth then puts you in a position to where you can get really serious about building your brand for the long haul. You can start to go multi-channel. You can do, you know, television, radio, print, all of that type of stuff. Um, but the key is doing the right thing for your business at the right time. So here's a question for you. Do you guys ever feel like you are a victim of your own success? I mean, in having the, the wins that you guys have had, um, these are, these are mega grand slams, you know, um, how do you repeat that and make that a sustainable, you know, ongoing model that you can continue to provide? Um, I mean, at some point, People are going to start stealing your method, you know, they're going to start emulating it. And then the whole method is, of course, going to have to change. I mean, the way that we've seen infomercials 20 years ago to 10 years ago to five years ago to, to now, they've evolved in so many ways. Are, are they shorter in length? Are they funnier? Are they more serious? I'm not really sure. I see a lot of different types of trends. But, you know, one of the things that I definitely connect to you with Harmon Brothers is that you guys are really building something larger than just an agency. You guys are building a, an education platform. And, you know, I'm definitely a fan of that. You know, Harmon Brothers University, um, from poop, poop to Gold, I got my copy right here. So nice, I was nice. really, really psyched to drop my, my money uh, to, to buy that book. Um, Thank but you. What is, yeah, what is, what is the, the, the big vision behind, um, you know, your sort of overall growth strategy? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question, Ruben. So I would, I'd, I'd sum it up like this. So businesses are going to need content, no question. Like the, it's not going away. The need for video content to drive business success is just getting more and more and more. And, and so like, like you noted, what we do, well, yeah, six years ago, it was pretty unique to just us. But now we've been teaching these methods for years and we have students all over the place who are implementing these methods. We've had competitors, you know, copy our methods and, and, and catch on to them. And I think that's a really, really good thing because it is making content more affordable for businesses. And it's not just any content, right? It's effective content for whatever stage you're at in, in your business. And, you know, there's a lot of people who argue that, creativity can't be scaled up and um and we want to prove that wrong and our approach to doing it is saying 
there are groups, specifically comedians, writers, and filmmakers, who, generally speaking, they're kind of starving artists. And they want to practice their craft and be good at what they do, but they feel like their options are limited to like, I either have to be a starving artist or I've got to like sell out and go to corporate America and just go get a, a soul sucking desk job, right? And we're trying to talk to those groups, comedians, writers, and filmmakers and tell them, no, there's this option where you can fulfill your dream and develop your talents, develop your skills and make a great living while you do it. You don't have to sell out. You can stay true to who you are. You can live a balanced life. You don't have to you know, be that starving artist. And the path to do that is coming into the advertising world. And we show them that. We, we say, you know, comedians, come into our world. Come help us make our ads funny and memorable. And, and so it's creating this great synergy where all of these super talented artists are coming in. And now all these businesses who need content have access to these great artists, you know, comedians and writers and, and, and filmmakers. And it's creating this wonderful synergy where more and more businesses can get more and more access to great content. And so that's our goal. Our, our goal is to train those writers, comedians and filmmakers to become great advertisers so that the businesses who need that content can get it at an affordable rate and, and at high volumes. So that, that's how we're trying to um, you know, to scale this up big. I mean, one of the things that I'd love to have access to, I don't know if this exists, but I'd love to have access to the Harmon brothers, you know, marketplace of, you know, trained, certified, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, creative folks, you know, the yep. writers, filmmakers. And, um, I mean, that would be something that would be really interesting for me because, the hiring process is very challenging. You have to go, you have to jump on Craigslist or jump on Indeed or jump on Facebook and sort of hope that you're going to find someone that's, you know, professional, that's creative, that's not going to skip town in three weeks. And, and that's tough. And that's a really tough process that I've been through a number of times. So I, I don't know if something like that exists, but I would definitely be a subscriber of that. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it does exist, but it's currently internal only. Okay. Um, meaning the marketplace is being developed and it's being populated by more and more people. Um, but it's not yet at a stage where we're opening it up to, um, to all businesses to access the marketplace, but that will come. And, and um, I don't think I can put a date on it, but I, I, I have hopes that it will be sooner rather than later. We'll put it that way. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. So, Let's talk halo effect for a second. So one of the things that I've noticed when you guys um, drop one of your pieces, um, one, of your, one of your ads, one of your infomercials is that instantly because of the HB name, because of what you guys have done before, it's, it's press worthy, you know? And I asked myself, I asked myself, well, how much, I mean, obviously the content is there, it's high, you know, highly produced, uh, but I asked myself how much of this is halo effect and how much of this is production? Do you guys have a way to quantify that? Um, you know, when people hire you, how much of what they're hiring is the HB brand name? Well, let's see, how, how do I answer that? So one way to think about it is anytime you invest in, you know, in a high dollar video project, because when you get into, you know, when you get into the bigger production type stuff, it is an investment. And so anytime you make that investment, 
there's risk that comes along with it, right? There's always a chance that the, the campaign just doesn't perform the way that you want it to. And so I think when people are hiring Harmon Brothers for that name and that brand, so much of what they're hiring is our track record and seeing this, this success metrics time after time, repeated after, you know, just one after the next, that it gives them a high level of confidence that even though there's risk here, that risk is being mitigated by having a team that's been through it so many times. Um, so I think that's, that's part of what they're hiring for, you know, when they, when they go at the HB brand, that, that's what they're looking for. And then you're right, there is an element of this halo effect of, hey, these campaigns have been successful for all these other companies. And so when Harmon Brothers releases an ad, you know, the press wants to know about it. The press wants to write, a, write about it. And, you know, there, there will be press outlets like um, Adweek, for instance, often wants to get an exclusive story on it. You know, they want first dibs. And that's really good for our clients, right? Because it drives a lot of unpaid awareness to them. And so that, that's a big benefit for them that, that they get. But at the end of the day, whether that halo effect comes or not, the campaign for it to be a long-term success has to drive the business metrics that those companies need. And you know, that varies from company to company, but the only ads that scale into the you know, 10, 50, 100, you know, 200, 300 million view club and drive that type of awareness and those type of sales, the only ads that make it that far are the ones that you put a dollar of ads into them and you get back a dollar 50 in new revenue or you know, whatever that metric is for that particular business. And, and so, you know, ultimately that's how, that's how our success has, has developed over time is just consistently creating these campaigns that become economic engines that our, our clients can put, you know, enormous ad budgets behind and drive them profitably. Nice. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the, the trends that we're, we're noticing and we're also trying to ride is this idea of daily content. Yep. You know, these loops that we create as branders, as marketers, really storytelling and, um, you know, publishing to all channels and really building those, you know, real organic conversations up, you know, gone are the days when we can have, um, we can sort of have one asset that gets us what we want on social engagement. Now people want a lot of content and frankly, when they start to enjoy it, they wait for it and they expect it and, you know, they become a fan and a follower. So Yep. I guess my question for you is how, how does a marketer, how does an advertiser live within the realm of being able to a create daily original content, but then also having that flagship piece, that video, you know, the 10 second or the 30 second or the two minute video, that's their, their hero video, as you call it, you know, yep. how can you exist within those two realms um, and still kind of go through that cadence and achieve your goals? Yeah, yeah, great question. In fact, I think, you know, Gary Vee is, he's made himself into the poster child of, of daily content, right? I don't, I don't know if anyone has done it as much or as effectively as he has. And, you know, he's built himself into a massive brand that, you know, several companies live underneath, you know, the Gary Vee brand. And his brand is so strong that he's driving success in, in, in all those companies. So, yes, without a doubt, like that daily content strategy not only is it super like not only does it work long term but it's in, it's so important to be thinking about it long term 
but even Gary Vee, you know, he did a write-up last month on hero videos, or he used the term anchor videos, and he actually highlighted our purple video that we made for, for purple mattresses and used it as an example of having this piece of content that essentially closes the deal, right? So the, all that daily content is brand building where you're creating a relationship, you're connecting, you're, um, you're giving your, your followers and your love group something to stay in touch with you. But if you have a hero video who can then take those people and close the deal and turn them into paying customers, that's enormously valuable. And, and, and the other thing that I would say about daily content is, while I am 100% on board and in favor of it, I always advise people to make sure there's an economic engine in place to drive that daily content. And what I mean by that is if a brand new startup just decides, you know what, our strategy is we're gonna post every day on LinkedIn and YouTube and we're gonna have a podcast and we're gonna have an Instagram strategy and, and we're gonna have a Snapchat strategy, um, they would quickly extend, overextend themselves, they'd burn out and they wouldn't have the financial runway to put all of those strategies in place. And so that's why I always say, start with the economic engine, get that in place. Once the economic engine is there, then it can fund all of those efforts because those efforts are long-term plays. You know, when you go into that, went into that daily strategy of posting on the different social media platforms, it's not an overnight thing. You're not going to start posting and start seeing the results the next day. It takes time. It's a slow build. And, you know, it, it really pays dividends one year down the road, two years down the road, three years down the road. That's when you see the, the huge effects. And so your economic engine needs to be in place to, to be able to sustain that over the long haul. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. So let's, let's qualify the quote unquote economic engine. So unit economics, what are we referring to? Cost per acquisition, lifetime value, conversion rates. Give me some, some numbers here. Well, in a nutshell, it's sales, right? It, it's, it's profitable sales. And so that can be different for different businesses. You know, it, for one business, you know, maybe a SaaS business has a sales team. And as long as there are consistent sales coming in the door, that is the economic engine that then enables them to put that long-term branding strategy in place. You know, for other companies, they might not have a sales team, but maybe they're, you know, maybe they're selling a, a product like Squatty Potty, for instance, to have an ad campaign that allows them to spend a dollar and get back a dollar 50 in sales. Then that just became their economic engine because they can just keep reinvesting into that engine and it becomes this, yeah, I'm overusing the term economic engine, but I think it, it paints the picture of it's now giving them the ability to invest in their long-term brand because it keeps sales coming in the door. Got it. Okay, cool. I mean, one of the things that we've noticed as we build our economic engine is that, you know, we're getting some, some metrics on the length of the video. Well, first we started with the, the, the concept uh, and then we sort of added the element of length of video, and then we added the a size element, the ratio size, and we've yep. sort of landed in this place where you know we'll start with Facebook. You know the square videos that we're putting on Facebook, those are definitely converting the best. I think our theory on that is that sixteen nine is there's too many distractions below the fold. You see the next post, um, but four or five, 
um, actually hides the call to action button. So this is our theory, no data to back this, but Square, it has that perfect um, ratio of you know, screen to call to action below. So that's kind of one learning that we have. But what we've also noticed is that we're getting uh, lower um, sort of cost per lead rates um, at the shorter length videos. So we started at 15 and then we went to 12 seconds and now we're kind of hovering in this eight second realm. But what we suffer from is that you can't really convey a story in eight seconds. I mean, you can, yep. throw, you can throw some eye candy on there and a little bit of social proof, but the larger story, which is there's a problem, there's a solution, and that here's something that's worth checking out. You know, obviously we need more time to develop that. So I guess a question for you is, um, you know, how can, how can advertisers, how can marketers take that long form piece of content potentially and then kind of waterfall it into shorter form pieces of content, but then ultimately have your, your hero video, your anchor video. What's exactly. some, kind of, some tricks there? So I think the trick is understanding some of the biases that drive Facebook. And as you can imagine, one of the huge biases that they have is that they favor content that keeps people on their platform. Anytime you're driving someone away from the Facebook platform, you're not going to get the same, uh, I guess the same favoritism from, you know, from the Facebook black box or the, or the, the Facebook algorithm, right? And so knowing that you can put a strategy in place where you essentially kind of map out the journey that your customer needs to take from, I've never heard of you, you know, very top of the funnel, all the way through down at the bottom of the funnel, funnel where they know you, they trust you, they've had their concerns overcome, um, that we've handled their, their objections, we've built credibility, and they're ready, they're ready to close. And essentially, we try to break that up into snippets of content that take them through that journey. And so imagine you start out with, you know, with some, some short video clips that are focused on what do we believe? And we start there and we show that to a pretty broad audience. And then we track the data and see, okay, who is engaging with this content for up to 20, you know, 30 seconds. Those people, we want to remarket the next video to them. And the next video might be, you know, future objection handling, or it might be um, uh, some some belief management, you know, what does your customer need to believe to, um, to, to become a customer? And then eventually we're going to get down into, you know, problem and solution and, um, and features and eventually, you know, credibility reviews that, that type of stuff. And it, long story short, what I'm saying, you can have amazingly complex, um, flows, that are essentially indoctrinating people over time while they're staying on the Facebook platform and you're only feeding additional ads to the people who are engaging in, in your previous ads. And so eventually they get to the bottom of that flow and they're so warm and they're so ready that by the time you hit them with your conversion ad, you know, the, the straight up sales ad or, or, or the hero ad, they're just so warm and ready that they can, um, it, you know, you can convert them at an extremely extremely low rate. But admittedly, what I just described, that's pretty advanced. Like most companies don't start there, right? Mo most companies just start on a simple sales video 
and, and they take their customer all the way from, I'm going to grab your attention. I'm going to illustrate that I understand the problem. Here's the solution. I'm going to give you a call to action. Then I'm going to come back, build the credibility, overcome concerns, and give you a call to action again. And just starting with that simple sales video is usually enough to capture the low-hanging fruit in the marketplace to you know, get that economic engine started. And then later over time, as you're saying, okay, we're getting our low-hanging fruit, but we need to get a bigger you know, a bigger cross-section of the market, that's when you go into the more advanced strategies where, you know, you're layering video content on top of video content and you're taking them through these, uh, you know, these more advanced journeys. I mean, that's something that, that I think a lot of advertisers are not doing. I completely agree with you. You know, this whole idea of, a you know, top of funnel sort of top of, you know, video funnel, really. I mean, it's, you know, there's three, four, five touch points that happen before someone actually engages on a website or with a business. And a lot of those are this, you know, these high value pieces of content, these videos. And I totally agree with you that more, more of us, frankly, need to do that. We need to realize that, well, first it's one story and then, you know, get the track, understand that you're building an audience of people that have watched that first video and now provide the second video and then potentially a third one. And then you watch when you provide that conversion video that not only is your quote unquote, I don't know, lead capture rate going to increase, but it's also going to be your actual e-commerce, your, your money in the bank, your credit card, your charge, your subscription rate, you know? So I think that it's important that, uh, that advertisers really understand that full funnel of, of touch points of content to ultimately get them that economic engine that makes us all worth its while That's because right. it works. Yep. Uh, sound off. A uh, lot of lot of marketers, a lot of video creators suffer from that. How have you guys solved that problem? What do you guys do to get people to turn the turn the sound on when they're watching that video? Um, what do we do to get people to turn the sound on? Great question. So, one of the uh, one of the ads that we made that I think had one of the highest rates of being watched with sound. I don't know the, met the metrics exactly offhand. I'd have to go check with my team. But if I remember correctly, um, the, it, something north of 80% are watching videos with the sound off. And so, of course, you, you know, it's an absolute must to bake in your subtitles, build it right into the edit, make them super clear if a word needs to be you know, emphasized. Um, you know, don't just do standard subtitles across the bottom, but you can make a word pop out if, if you need to emphasize that, knowing that tons of people are going to be watching, watching with the sound off. But anyways, going back to this video where it turned out to be kind of an anomaly where it basically flipped, where it was something like 80% 80, 80 were watching with the sound on. And, and the campaign was, uh, was for Bedjet, and and it featured this character that was kind of this demon. So it was a it was a couple. Um, you know, they're lying it lying there in bed. Um, the wife is a normal human being, and the husband is this demon character. You know, so he's um, you know he's in this red demon costume. And I suspect that viewers saw that and they're going, I've never seen this before. I want to know what this creature sounds like. And, and so they were turning on the sound at an amazingly high rate. Um, and then another one that we had uh, really get people turn, turning the sound on was Lumi Deodorant. It, it was a musical ad 
And so while we built it so that people could watch it and follow and understand the whole entire thing with the sound off, you can definitely see by what, you know, the visuals that are going on that there's music there and, and it made people curious to know, I want to know what this sounds like. I want to know what's going on here. And so that was another one where, you know, people were like, okay, I got to go sound on for this one. That's really cool. So do you sort of um, build that into the production where you kind of know that and then you provide some sort of cues um, just to inspire people to do that? Or is that something that um, happened organically? What, what was the process with that? Did you guys um, get lucky? The, the bed jet one definitely just happened organically. Like we, okay. we, we didn't know that, okay, if we make this demon character, everyone's going to turn the sound on. That was just kind of one of those, uh, you know, fortunate things. Lumi, the musical one, we kind of expected, right? When, when you make a musical ad, um, which, which, by the way, um, I'm not sure I've ever heard of another musical, you know, quote unquote, infomercial, um, but this thing has been wildly successful. And, and going into it, we were kind of nervous because we, we use humor as a tool to keep people's attention. And so we're always paying attention to joke density in our scripts and in our videos because that becomes a function of how well we're holding people's attention. And in this musical ad for Lumi Deodorant, we, um, we didn't have near the joke density that we normally have. Um, in fact, there are far fewer jokes in that ad than, than our typical ad. And, and so we were really nervous as to whether or not it would be able to hold people's attention. But it turns out music is also a very, very good tool for grabbing and holding people's attention. And so when you look at that video and watch the retention curve, it's really, really strong in terms of keeping people's attention throughout. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, music, that's really what makes me emotional when I watch <laughs> a video a lot of the times because it just takes me to a different place. I'm a little biased since I'm a musician, um, but I, I totally agree with you on that. Yeah, I think there's this, also this idea of, you know, the, um, the ASMR, you know, this idea where we get sort of stimulated by these sounds and these noises and it's, it's that oddly satisfying, you know, crumpling paper, or cutting jello or some, um, some, you know, bizarre machine that's doing something. Um, there's something that's really enticing about that. And I think that if we can incorporate uh, visual elements that make people curious and want to understand what's happening in, within that video, I think they're going to be inspired to, A, turn the sound on, but then B, you know, potentially watch the whole thing. So that's very cool. So, uh, yeah, I love that. Um, so uh, tell me, tell me some um, sort of some tactical ways that people can uh, get involved um, with Harmon Brothers, how can they consume some of your content? You know, I'd love to learn about your podcast, about the HB University, um, how they can grab this book. Give us some, some calls to action here. For sure, for sure. So, um, like I said, you know, Harmon Brothers University, our goal there is to take comedians, writers, and filmmakers and show them a path to become great creators in the advertising space so that then entrepreneurs and marketers, um, you know, businesses, can have a place to come get really great high quality content at an affordable rate and trust that the people making it have been trained to do it in the Harmon Brothers way. Um, so that's what Harmon Brothers University is all about. Um, so if you're a writer, comedian, or, um, or, or filmmaker, make sure, you know, harmonbrothersuniversity.com 
go sign up for the email list, stay in touch with us there, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll show you how to go through that training process. Um, if you're an entrepreneur or a marketer who, who needs guidance on how to get the great content, then just go to harmanbrothers.com um, and sign up, um, sign up there or fill out an inquiry there. We'll get in touch with you. And whether you just need some you know, guidance on you know, how to find out where you're at on, on your timeline to becoming a household brand, we can provide just some guidance or all the way through to maybe you need a full-on campaign and, and you want to hire us to make that campaign. Um, you know, HarmanBrothers.com is, is, is the place for that. And then in terms of just general listeners who just kind of want to stay in touch with us and, and see what's going on, um, the book from poop to gold is a great resource. Um, I think it's from poop to gold.com or poop to gold.com. It's, um, th that's a great book that really dives into how we built our creative culture and kind of what makes us tick as a creative organization. Um, it's not a how to book. So if you're looking for like how to be the Harmon brothers, that's not going to, um, to fulfill it. It's more how to create a culture like, like Harmon brothers. If you want, how to do what Harmon Brothers do, then HarmonBrothersUniversity.com is, is where you want to go. And then, you know, finally, there, there's the podcast, also of the title, From Poop to Gold. You know, it's on all the major uh, podcast platforms. Um, uh, we hit the iTunes, you know, business top 50. Um, it, we've got some amazing guests on there from, you know, guys like Jay Shetty to, to Ryan Dice, um, Kevin Harrington, uh, Damon John, uh, Russell Brunson, and just many, many great guests. And essentially we're taking these guests and we're capturing their poop to gold moment because these guys have all been through enormous challenges and had to overcome those challenges in order to come out successful. And so that, that's the theme of that podcast is capturing those, those poop to gold moments. And so um, hopefully there's something there for, for everyone, whether, whether you want to learn, whether you want help or whether you just want to stay in touch and, and, and see what's going on. Hopefully there's something there for you. Awesome. Um, I have a final, final question for you. I saw something about Portuguese on your, on your LinkedIn profile. Yeah. Yeah. I spent two years living over in Portugal. Uh, that was when I was, I went over there when I was 19 and stayed till I was 21 and actually, I'm going back this month for the first time in who knows how many years, almost 20 years. Um, I'm taking my wife over there uh, to, to show her Portugal and to go eat their amazing food and visit their, their amazing beaches. Uh, so we're, we're headed over there at the end of August. We're pretty excited. So you guys are going to Lisbon or? Yeah, yeah. We're going to start in Lisbon, spend a few days there, and then we're going to head down to the southern coast of Portugal. It's called the Algarve. Kind of has these world famous beaches where uh, you know people come from all over the world for these beaches, and particularly Europe. Europeans, you know, from all over the continent, tend to congregate uh, in southern Portugal in in the summertime. That is sweet. Amazing. That's going to be a great return for you. Yeah, yeah, I'm super excited. My Portuguese is very, very rusty, uh, so I'm kind of nervous about that. But hopefully, I'll be able to, you know, hold my own and figure out how to get us around. Well, uh, let's leave it at that. I will say to you, obrigado. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, until the next one. De nada. O prazer foi todo meu. It was great to be here. Thanks. Bye, bye, Benton. Take care. Thanks.